Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, uh, book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 17 through 22. Reading from Exodus. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions, and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate dishonest gain. Such, set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all Israel and appointed them as heads over the people, as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times, hard cases they brought to Moses, but any minor cases they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went off to his own country. So ends the reading. God is still speaking. Good morning. I am delighted to be back with you. This beautiful sanctuary, this just gem on the coast in California. If you are a Bible geek, you'll be happy this morning because we've got lots of scriptures, and so you can get out your pen and write them down. We've got these plus, plus a whole bunch more. And I um, just wanted to comment on the flowers. They are just so beautiful. Lilies are my absolute favorite. And so it feels like you brought them here just for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you also for your very warm welcome. I remember all your faces and spirits. I'm not that good at remembering everyone's names, but know that I am pleased to be here and know that I am happy to see you again. And several of you said, oh, well, I wasn't here the last time you were here. I'm glad I get to hear you this time and I'm grateful for that. I thank you for the invitation. You know, it, for itinerant preachers and consultants, folks like me, it's not so hard once people get to know you to be invited to do something. But the biggest test, the greatest affirmation is when you get invited back. And so thank you for inviting me back. So they, um, call to worship this morning is about leadership because we're talking about leadership. 
The call to worship comes from the Tao Te Ching, which is a very ancient sacred scripture. Some of you may know it um, from the spiritual tradition of Taoism, from which much in our culture has come. And it's the Sutra 17, it's section 17, if you want to look that up. So that's your first reference. So you all are in a time of transition. And so it's important to think about and it's important to recognize that this is an opportunity for you to rethink leadership. This is an opportunity for you to reset, for you to think again about how you want to be led and how you will use the leadership that's present right here in the sanctuary. And so when we think about transition times, there are five things that a congregation is supposed to do between the leaving of their former pastor and the welcoming of their new pastor. One is coming to terms with history. That means telling your story, telling the stories that have been silenced, telling the stories that people are tired of hearing, telling the stories and giving them some context for why they are meaningful to you and why they are meaningful for your congregation and recognizing that, well, it's part of our history that we don't necessarily like or that's part of our history that we love and lifting those things up. It's an opportunity to discover a new identity. That is, you know that your neighborhood church of Laguna Beach and you know that you have some reputation in the community, but this is an opportunity for rebranding if that's something that you want to do. This is an opportunity for reaffirming again who you are and what you are to one another and what you are to the community. It's a time for renewing and rethinking your denominational linkages. If you're like most of the congregations that I work with, you have a love-hate relationship with the regional body that's right above you. They tend to give you lots of rules and not be there when you think with resources when you want them. And so um, that's, that's the nature of the beast. And so it's a time to, to rethink that and see perhaps if there are resources that they might have. It's also a time for committing to new leadership and a new future. And it's an opportunity to rethink leadership and empower new leaders. And so there may have been some folks who have been standing up and are ready to sit down. And then there are other folks who have just stood up because they're filling in the gap. And so this is a chance to take a look at who they are and what they're doing and what they offer to the congregation. So when we think about leadership, we can think about leadership in lots of different ways. You can think about the qualities that you want to see in a leader. And if you look in scripture, you can look at Queen Washti 
Um, some of us know her as Vashti, the first chapter of Esther and the courage she had to say no when everyone expected her to say otherwise. The Je Deborah, who was one of the judges that was appointed by Moses for her wisdom, Miriam and Huldah for their vision and able to see the things that most people couldn't see. In the New Testament, we see people like Phoebe who had access to resources that she, she was wealthy. She was able to give to the new Christian communities. Esther, Queen Esther was able to take advantage of relationships she had to help her people. Yael, who is also in the Old Testament, had tremendous creativity and courage in the face of imminent death. And then there's Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, whose loyalty and whose faith and whose perseverance is still told in stories today. And so we've got all of these qualities that we might want to see in a leader. And then you might study leadership in a university or in a course and come up with styles of leadership. You may be familiar with autocratic or laissez-faire or collaborative leaders. And that's all important and necessary. But I think what's most important is understanding the kind of leadership that you bring to the kind of church that you are. Because just like people go through cycles, churches go through cycles as well. And so you need to be clear about the cycle of growth and development that the church is in so that you can bring the leadership that you need for this particular time in the life of the church. And so there are five cycles, and we cycle through them not just once, but over and over again. So there's a creative cycle where it's like a startup organization where you're, it's very innovative and you're, you're trying out new things, creative developing, taking the new ideas and turning them into processes and systems. There's a sustaining where everything is kind of smooth and you're not trying anything new and nothing is dying and things are working really well, but some folks are kind of bored. And then there is the deconstruction, and there are three kinds of deconstructors, and I'll talk to you about that, and the reconstructing. So there's five different phases or cycles of life. You might think of them in terms of your own life. Think of them in terms of other organizations you are a part of. Think of them in terms of this church and see what phase are you in now. So when we talk about creators, creative leaders, Moses is the example that I would bring to you. So, you, so this reading that we had this morning is what happened after Exodus. So just to give you some context, if you saw the movie, whether you saw it with Charlton Heston or, or somebody else, um, after they crossed the, the, the Red Sea and ended up in the desert, they had to live, they had to set up a structure, they had to set up some rules, they had set up a way of being, and so they set up the system of judges. So Moses was this creative leader because he was making it up on the spot and running up the mountain to talk to God, to find out what do I do next, what do I do next, and bringing it on down to the people and trying things out, and every day there was something new. 
And that was okay because he had the kind of leadership style that worked for them in that time. Moses communicated directly with God. He reconnected the people with their Jewish identity. He led them out of Egypt into a new land and he established a new way for them to live in community. Moses wrote down all the words of God when he went up, he wrote them on the tablets and then brought them down and shared them with the people. So they were creating themselves. They were in the process of inventing themselves anew. So then you move to the development stage. Developers build on the ideas of the creators. They take the group's vision and make it real. Sometimes developers get their own ideas. Most of the time, they're inspired by the ideas of others. They grow ideas into things. And usually, by the time they've gotten the idea to the point where others can also see that it's a good thing, they're ready to move on to do something else. So developer leaders are most effective with congregations that need to institutionalize their systems and their structures because once established, the organization needs to find a leader who's a sustainer. Now Jethro was a developer. So in Exodus 18, we read today, um, Jethro's idea of setting up the system of judges so that Moses wasn't wearing himself out and trying to do everything for everyone. So sustainers are the people who keep the lights on, keep the water running, they pay the bills on time, they take out the garbage every week, not just when they remember it, not just the waste baskets that are nearest to the door. They're responsible, they're dependable, they're boring, and sustain. <laughs> But they're necessary, they're really important, and they make sure that all that the developers build continues working and stays in good condition. Sustainer leaders are most effective when the organization is neither growing nor declining, when the organization is fun functioning effectively or has emerged successfully from a major transition and needs to have a stabilizing effort. That's when you need the sustainer leaders. So when we look in scripture, we look at Solomon. So in 1 Kings 11, we read about Solomon building the temple. The time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Solomon slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of his father David. King David, remember him, the one who danced in his underwear and embarrassed his wife? Um, <laughs> that's in Kings too. And Solomon's son succeeded him. So it was very stable. It was a very stable time in the life of the Hebrew people. So Solomon is a good example. He wasn't, he wasn't a builder. He wasn't a creator. He wasn't creative like his father. He wasn't a developer. But because remember, when he, he, although he built the temple, all the materials for the temple, all of the resources that were needed for building that temple were already there. David put them there, and Solomon just had to put them in place. So then we go to the deconstructors. Oh, oh, one more example of a sustainer. Remember Martha of Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus? Um, Mary was the one who sat at the feet of Jesus and was always there wanting to study and learn, and Mary was banging the pots in the kitchen saying, why isn't anyone helping me? 
um, kind of like your Mary who was dragging the bag down the aisle saying, can I have a little bit of help? So, but Martha was dependable. Martha was responsible. Martha could be counted on. And so in John 12, we read, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead, and there they gave a dinner for him. Martha served. So, and we read throughout scripture, especially in the, the, the gospel accounting, every time we see, hear about Martha, she's serving. She might be complaining, but she's there. She's dependable. She's doing the job because nobody else is helping. So then you've got the deconstructors. You have the malicious deconstructors. You have the benign deconstructors. And you have the benevolent deconstructors. So deconstructors challenge the current processes. They dismantle systems and they end relationships. The three types are defined by their motives and the things that they take apart. Now, you may know some malicious deconstructors because they damage and they disrupt. They disrupt healthy relationships, they damage beautiful projects, and they end or interfere with productive organizations. These folks need to be identified and isolated. You need to welcome them to worship somewhere else. The benign deconstructors are the ones, I have a number of colleagues who are benign deconstructors. They serve their congregations for 25, 30, 35 years, and they had these big, large, vibrant communities that they were serving when they started, and by the time they left, there were hardly enough people there to turn off all the lights before they closed the doors. Not because they did anything horrible, but because they did nothing. They said, we're fine, and they just kept going and not noticing that people were leaving and not coming back. So benign deconstructors ignore what's going on. They allow the healthy and unhealthy things to fall apart. They need to be identified and supported in attending to the health of the organizations. A benign deconstructor needs to be partnered with a sustainer so that they can keep things going and keep things alive. And then you have the benevolent deconstructor. These are the folks who safely disassembled the defective and the decaying structures, and they provide a catalyst for rebuilding. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. If you're one of those people who don't like change, and you see things that are changing around you, you don't care if they're benign, benevolent, or malicious, you don't like it, and you want them to stop. But think about it as a wound. If, if there is wounding, if there is healing that needs to be done, sometimes you have to clean the wound. Sometimes you have to debride it. Sometimes you have to hurt a little bit in order to do, the, to do the healing work. And that's what the benevolent deconstructors do. Sometimes somebody has to say, you know, that was a really great thing when we started that in 1940. 
but it's just not working now. We need to take the antenna off the top of the steeple so we won't be the tallest building in the, in the community, but we don't need it anymore. So those are things that we need to take into consideration. If you think in scripture, who was the greatest deconstructor? Who dismantled the most systems? Who challenged the status quo? Absolutely. And so in Matthew, all through, especially Matthew 5, there is, he gives a couple of sermons in, in Matthew. And in Matthew 5, he says, so I'm reading from 21 in and out to, to 44. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, or a man, has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced person commits adultery. Well, you know, that's kind of changed. We'd all be... <laughs> We'd all be in big trouble if that one was still working. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. I say to you, do not swear at all. Let your word be, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. I still have trouble with that one. You have heard it was, see, but we're, we're aspirational. We're as, we just keep trying, reformed and reforming. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And so we see just in that scripture, Jesus will compare, these are the old laws, these were the laws of Moses, and these are the new laws. This is the new way. So I am deconstructing what is old and familiar and no longer useful so that we can build something new. And to build something new, you need a reconstructor. Sometimes you get that deconstructor, reconstructor combination, which is a good thing. Um, and sometimes you, you get someone to do the deconstructing and then someone else comes in for the reconstructing. Reconstructors take things that look dead and bring them back to life. Reconstructors are your turnaround people. So Paul, in, his, in the book of Acts, and in his letters to the various, to many missions that he started, he is reconstructing the communities, reconstructing a way of life. See, sustainers work well with reconstructors because sustainers notice when things need to be fixed, while the reconstructors will mend and repair them. They research the initial ideas, figure out 
when something, figure out how something has been altered, they return things to their original condition or recreate them to fit into current situations. They seldom have original ideas, but they often take the ideas of others and make them look way better than the originator thought they would. Reconstructor leaders are also called the turnaround leaders. They pull an organization out of its own ashes. They're the Phoenix people and help it to become something new and responsive to the changes in its environment. So rarely are you gonna find the creator and sustainer qualities in the same person, or will you find the developer deconstruction combination. The skills and perceptions of each are anathema to one another. You know, like they make good partners, but you won't find that in the same person because it's too much of a conflict. The bottom line is this, you need to know what kind of leadership you bring. You need to know what kind of leader you are. You need to know not only what you do well, but what you do well that makes you happy. Because if you're doing work that feeds you, if you're doing work that honors your passions, if you're doing work in which you are interested, you're gonna work really hard. You won't think about it as work. You're going to sing while you're working and you'll be sending folks emails at four o'clock in the morning when you should be asleep or watching a movie. And so, but it's important. I had, a, I had a colleague, I have a friend who is a colleague, and she said, you know, she's been the CEO of some very large organizations around the country. She said, they call me and they say, you're the only woman in America who can help us. You're the only woman in America who can do what we need done in this organization. And everybody is happy. They bring out the band and they throw down the flowers and they're happy to get me. And after about five or seven years, they're tired and they don't want me anymore. And I don't understand why they loved me at first and now they don't love me anymore. And so I had to help her see that she did exactly what they asked her to do and the organization needed something different. So it wasn't her, it was her skill set that was no longer needed. And so that's why, that's why we as human beings are so extraordinary because we're always growing, we're always learning if we're lucky, and we're able to adapt and adjust to new situations. At the same time, if you're able to identify what you do really well, then you can say, yeah, I can do that. If you're able to identify it in yourself, then you'll be able to identify it in others identify it in the life and cycle of your congregation and you'll be able to say this is what we need now. This is the skill set that we're looking for. So you know the, the, the PIFs, the professional information form, personal information form that all the clergy have to fill out. You know, you gotta check, you know, are you this, are you that, are you that, or the other. But sometimes those skill sets Sometimes those questions are not the questions that you need to be asking. So you need to talk among yourselves and ask one another, what are our questions? What are our needs? What do we need and want as leaders for now? Where are we going into our future? 
and who is going to be the right person to take us there. If you're not an official leader, it's still important to think about these things because you may not have a formal leadership role, but you still function as a leader. And that's why it's important to know what you do best. And it's important to know what the organization needs. See, you may come up with an idea and develop the project. On occasion, you may have to restore something that you've damaged or somebody else damaged or terminate a relationship that's irreparable. You may greatly dislike destroying things, but sometimes the only way for you or your congregation to proceed into your future is to go backwards and take a step and then go forward again. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to take things apart and start all over again. And so my friends, we have so many lessons and so many examples in scripture, so many examples in the life of this church. And I invite you to think, to reflect, to take advantage of this transition time. Take advantage of what you know about yourselves and your history so that you can write the chapter that takes you into your future. May God bless you in your work and in your mission. <laughs>